0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Maverick Mondays. I'm your host, Maverick Peters. It is my intention to change your life one Monday at a time. I've had the incredible opportunity to sit down with some pretty fantastic people. The individuals who are successful or extremely positive-minded are those people we will be hearing from on this show. Stay tuned for today's guest. A couple months ago, I reached out to about 15 of my friends from elementary school. I asked them who they remembered to be their top two favorite teachers. And to my utter amazement, everyone unanimously mentioned a specific teacher, either as their first or their second favorite. When I realized this, I knew I had to bring in this teacher and ask him what made him so special. After a couple calls and a few Facebook friend requests later, I finally got a hold of this teacher. And today, we have the privilege to hear from him as he shares with us why he thinks he was everyone's favorite and what it takes to get there. Our guest today is Mr. Ken Rady. Mr. Rady has been teaching for close to 45 years now, and upon hearing my reason and having him on the show, he was truly puzzled as he never saw himself in this way. However, you will soon hear how Mr. Rady and I uncovered what lies at his success and why he was so special. did teaching become a passion? What was your first teaching job? What was that like?
1: Uh, my first teaching job was in a place called Bedford, Ohio. I taught at an elementary school. I was a sixth grade teacher. And it just, it was, when you when you were a teacher, a beginning teacher in my generation, you weren't taught a whole lot about how to be a teacher. Uh, the qualifications that you need to be a teacher right now to get a certificate are so so much more rigorous than they were in our day and age. If you just basically showed up and got a degree, you could be a teacher. And I started off, I knew nothing, and I had some teachers that, I had a principal and I had a teacher that were incredible mentors to me. They just gave me great ideas, and they really fostered the idea of being a good teacher, especially my principal at that time. His name was Dr. Paul Peiros. And he would just play mind games with you, and you never knew where he was coming from. And he always made you think. And then I noticed that with the kids, you know, there seemed to be something, you know, a connection that you could make with kids. You know, by doing little things outside the classroom, it got kids to do more inside the classroom. And it became more of a, you could really be an advocate for people by being a teacher. And I think that was the hook that got me.
0: Clearly, you're fantastic at at, uh, conveying material and get, keeping them interested. Did that start from anything, or is that just an inborn?
1: No, that's not inborn. Uh, I was far from uh, being the perfect child all the way through school. Uh, it comes very simply from Mr. Risch, the gentleman that said, hey, why don't you be a teacher? Uh, by the time I started teaching, I thought of where would I be without his influence, without all the guidance he had given me through the years on, you know, choices that I made life-wise. And, you know, we still have breakfast and dinner, you know, a couple times a year. We still talk on the phone. And uh, I would have been lost without him. I don't know where I would have ended up. It's all because of him. I I basically had the goal. Uh, Every year I started teaching, every first day of school, I either would go to Mr. Rish's house or I would call him the day before and thank him for all that he had done for me. And I told him, I hope that I can reach one student the way you reached me this year, and that was my goal. That he had done so much for me, and once I, you know, went through the student teaching experience and my, you know, first couple of years at Bedford, and I thought, you know, maybe in some simple way I was, com- I wasn't coming close to what Coach Rich did for me, but I could see that that was a possibility. And it was, it was kind of interesting because, uh, you know. Our generation being new to technology and, you know, cell phones and Facebook and things like that, you don't, you hope that you made a connection with kids and that it would be that you did okay. And my words with my first year class were, you know, you taught me more than I could ever have taught you. But we all connected on Facebook about four years ago. And it was kind of cool because it was a new experience for me. I got on Facebook so I wouldn't miss anything going on with my grandkids that were born about that time. And my first class was 25, 24 kids, and we all got together. A lot of us got together. I think there were 13 of us that got together for dinner. And this was, you know, they're 52, 53 years old at the time, and it just floored me that they would even want to sit down with you. And so that 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 was a good feeling that, you know, hopefully you did have that impact on kids, and if they wanted to come back and see you after all those years, then that, that – that spoke to me, that that made me feel good, that maybe I, in a small way, was Mr. Risch.
0: That's interesting. So did you ever have an image of yourself or a goal that you wanted to be a great teacher or just a, a teacher that got the job done?
1: It's an evolutionary process. You grow in every phase of life and in this career, you continue to grow. And as long as a teacher remains open to new ideas and doesn't think they have the answer to everything and is willing to grow, they continue to grow. And I think I was all the way through my 33 years in public school, blessed to be with teachers that had new new energy, new ideas. And I had administrators that put me in situations that allowed me to grow as an individual and forced me out of my comfort zone. It made me explore new areas that, well, I wish I had
0: done this 10 years ago. So someone who's going into the field of of education and, and to become a teacher. So, if they have the same approach that you had, where you know you just you want to get the material across to a child to a student, but you you know in the back of your head, as soon as the year's done, they may never want to see you again because kids, as we know, don't love school. So, how does a teacher stay motivated in that kind of setting? One, stay out of the teachers' lounge. Spend your lunch with kids.
1: Spend time getting to know your kids. And if you make the effort to personally try to know them outside of school and know what their interests are, then they might be a little bit more interested in what you're trying to teach in
0: class. When I reflect on um, my time in your class, one of the first things outside of class that we talked about, um, I think I was a 7th grader, you asked me, I don't know how it came up, but somehow wrestling came up. And my family's big in wrestling. And you asked me what my favorite move was. And this was after school. I was waiting for my ride. And I don't know if you remember this or not. Fireman's. A fireman's carry. Yes. So I said, Mr. Radio, fireman's carry is my go-to. My go-to takedown. And he said, all right, show me how you set it up. And in the hallway, there were other teachers around. I showed you how I, sh- how I set up my fireman's carry. A simple middle schooler. That's, that's all I was. I, I'm no decorated athlete whatsoever. But to me, that was the coolest thing. If that a teacher could connect to me on that kind of level, it's just like that's it. You're you're already number one in my books. So I mean I, I definitely see that when you say connecting with children outside of class, how it has an impact. If if there was no Mr. Rish in your life, or if someone else, if a friend would have said, Hey, you know, you should really go into teaching or you should really do this, would you have listened to them or was it be only because you looked up to this person?
1: It was only because it was Mr. Rish. Okay. So I would I truly believe that had I uh I don't know where I would have ended up. I don't think I would have, I know I would not have looked at teaching at all. It was not even on my radar. He put it on my radar and again because I honored his words, I gave it a look, but I probably would be working in a warehouse.
0: Well, wow, and I mean that shows you the the power of influence, right when you look up to someone and they suggest something and then you take it, you know that could be life changing so in the classroom over the years, how has the setting changed from, you started teaching in what year? I started teaching in 1975.
1: This is my 43rd year of teaching.
0: Okay, so in the 70s, what did the classroom look like compared to 2019? Is it different, is it the same? How do kids behave, how do kids pick up information? That's
1: a really good question.
0: Classroom settings and
1: philosophies, as I was forced to do as a teacher, have evolved. And how to reach kids, how to present material, how to engage kids in the subject matter, that has so evolved on a positive nature that that's, that's a really large difference that I see over my career. Cooperation between teachers in public school has really changed. Uh, before it was like you were in your own I was a self-contained teacher I might talk to another adult maybe twice or three times during the day and I had the same kids all day long I was with kids all day I had no time to collaborate I did have one teacher though that took the time to have me over for dinner and share his ideas with me and really fostered where I would go you know on the academic and the social emotional level Uh, Part of that question is, I think there's more involved right now, and rather than just the academics, it's a three-pronged approach where you have the social, the emotional, and the academic. They all have to be working and clicking for the child to feel successful. If one's not working, then you've got to try to intervene and try to make sure that somehow you try to get the student to solve that problem and to make that work for them, or they're not going to be whole. Kids I don't think have changed. And I know a lot of people would disagree with me on that. What's available to them has changed. I think uh, technology has really changed students' approach to the world. And I think it takes incredible parenting to work your kids through this day and age to keep them away from things that you don't want them to be exposed to at a young age. Uh, I know my daughter and my son-in-law are doing a great job with my grandkids of uh, they limit screen time even though the kids are very young they're they're very attuned they're both teachers and they're they're both attuned to you know it's an easy way to parent your child is to okay I want some time to myself here's the screen go play a game for the next two hours and I'm not saying all parents do that but I think kids spend their Involvement in social activities, I think, has changed because of technology, and I, I see that as, you know, one of the biggest changes in kids. Have, are kids behaving differently? No, I don't see that at all. I, kids are as fabulous as, as they always have been, and they're as open to ideas as they've always been.
0: Okay, so have you heard the term millennial? Yes. Okay, so any child born from, I think, it's like 1980 till the present society has coined this term. Do you think children change in that respect? Do you see millennial behavior in the classroom or is that is that not a thing?
1: I don't see it as a thing. I see kids that are still motivated to do what they need to in the classroom and I see with my own kids, I don't see
0: that. There's one kid who's not motivated. There's some kind of rain cloud over his head. As a teacher, what do you do to get that kid Upbeat or into the into the class.
1: Not always a possibility, but I think a teacher needs to try to find out why that cloud is hanging over their head. You know, find out is it a family problem, is it a health problem, what's going on at home. Obviously, your first step is once you notice that is to contact the parents, see if they can give you any information. Uh, to help understand what their child is going through. You could talk to their former teachers to find out if this was a problem in the past. You try to do a history without them understanding that you're doing that or being aware that you're doing that. Try to figure out what the problem is. And then you try to very gently slide yourself into that situation and slide into a conversation with that child outside of classroom as to, hey, you know, how is how are things going at home? And maybe they'll open up to you or not, but you try to you try to gain a trust with that child to show that you are interested w- with them before you actually try to get into having them open up about what the problem is. If you don't have their trust, and they're never going to open up to you, you try to show them that you're on your on their side.
0: And that that sense of comfort that they have, you think that you know that's a big step to. You hope it
1: does, yeah. yeah. You hope it is, and it it doesn't work all the time. And it, I would say maybe it doesn't work half the time, but, you know, you try.
0: And so what about a child who is not into the subject at hand? He's not into the class. He doesn't want to be there. Do you work with a kid like that? Do you just let him be? What do you do in that kind of situation? He, and, and I'm sure there's a bunch of different sub subcategories of what could be going on, right? He could just want be wanting to go to recess or eat a snack. Absolutely, yes. But do you do you try and get that kid involved? Do you just let him be himself? Part of the process would be you try to make what you're teaching real and relevant
1: and make it you try to kids always have the right to ask why am I learning this so before you start a unit you try to do something that sets the table that shows them why at least I think it's important and why they maybe should consider that it's important and no that doesn't always work and if a kid is not doing well one of my patent lanes right now as well We have a quiz coming up, we have a test coming up. These are what we're we're gonna be covering uh, to gain your mastery of what we're working on. If you're not interested in your grade, maybe your parents are. And that always gets a chuckle out of the kids. And You try to make them interested in doing what's right for them in the classroom, presenting themselves well and gaining good habits to being successful in life. I think that's a big part of school is doing something that maybe you don't want to do, but you still know you gave it your best effort, your best shot. And there's there's a confidence that I think is built through that.
0: You mentioned that in your after your first year of teaching, you said that I've learned more from you and you were speaking to the students than you've learned from me. What are some of the things that you've picked up as a teacher over the years?
1: I think one of the biggest changes I had to make is when you said, how has my teaching changed over the years? I think a teacher, when they began, at least I was, was I always had to prove that I knew the answer. So if I asked a kid a question, and they hesitated and didn't answer the question, I'd have to tell them what the answer was. And I see that a lot with young teachers, is we have this need to jam it down their throats. And the hardest thing it was for me to learn was, let the kids struggle. Put them in a position where, well that's a good question. And then you answer their question with a question. And you try to lead their thought process to, well how do I solve this? And in my area of teaching science, science is all about problem solving. And so once I had a few good teachers show me that that's the way you needed to go, that changed that
0: approach for me. Do you ever use that approach with adults? Where you're engrossed in a conversation and you want to you want to get something across to them, like no, it's like this. Facts are like this, and then you use that little method.
1: No, but you become more of a listener. Okay. You don't readily want to look like the person that thinks that they know it all, but by asking, by using that approach with ki- with adults like you would with kids, I'd use it on a college level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If I was teaching on a college level, obviously it's a good teaching tool, but. For a human relations tool, no,
0: not so good. No. You don't want to look like yeah, a you know be
1: Left with very few friends. Right.
0: So going back to the question, um, what have what what how have you grown as a teacher? What have you learned from your experience? You said forty three years as a teacher and in the in the industry of education. What have you learned from that?
1: The big basic thing is that even after I thought I've had a good year, I'm never going to be as good as I think I could have been. I think I I would end I end every year thinking I could have done this better I could have done that better and I've learned that you know no matter it's, it's such a rewarding job professionally because no matter how hard you try you're never as good as you thought you could have been there's always better and what a great place to be in that you're never going to reach the height of what you're doing you could always find better ways of doing it so there's always that challenge that okay i'm not going to pull out the box and do it the same way i did last year i'm going to i have to make changes i have to make it better and for me that's been one of the besides the interpersonal relationships with students that have continued through the years it's it's just been awesome to know that challenge is there and that you're never good enough
0: so in other words there's always room to grow
1: always yes exactly
0: when you wake up in the morning so to me you're a very positive minded person when you wake up is there ever a day when you're like I don't want to go to school I don't want to have to teach I don't want to deal with the the kids who drive me nuts if you have those scenarios which I think they're few and far between but if you ever have those how do you overcome that
1: you remind yourself of why maybe you didn't like being in a classroom and you remind yourself of negative energy that you observed as a student and you kind of give yourself a kick and say, you don't want to model that. It's an interesting perspective that I, a good friend of mine that I taught with many years with at Hudson, we always gave ourselves two days where we said, don't want to be here. And we get each other through it. But rarely would there even be one. But we always would start the year. Don't forget, you got two days. I was blessed to work with great kids you know, it wasn't so much who I was as a teacher. I was just, I was always in a situation where I had great administrators, I had great students, I had great parents to work with, and I was just a part of the process, and I was blessed.
0: Mr. Rady, were there any instances or any scenarios in your teaching career where something happened between you and a student that made you check yourself and made you kind of you know, reevaluate yourself to to the point where you had to change your methods a little bit.
1: My first day of teaching, he introduced himself being the last person to walk into the classroom as, "This is who I am, and this classroom is mine." And so we developed a little strategy of where he wasn't going to act out in my room, and it's not something I would ever have done before or again. Uh, I first year of teaching, I'm looking, at what do I do with this kid? And yeah, he he did pull a switchblade on me. And I said, nobody taught me what to do with this. And so the best part of the story was he taught me more about teaching than any college professor could have. Is this kid, when he walked into my class before he did, all the teachers, it was a K-6 building, all the teachers looked at my list and they laughed. Oh, you've got so-and-so. And so so I asked one teacher that that was more of my age, what's wrong with my class list? And she looked at it and she goes, oh, I can't believe they gave him to you. Nobody can work with this child. And so, yeah, he was, we had an understanding of which I won't go into, but he was doing pretty well in class and the kids were pretty, you know, surprised that he was doing okay, but he would lash out and I thought, I noticed, and this was one of the things that caught me to the, you know, outside the classroom, needs that you have to try to fulfill as a teacher, as, as a human being, the kid would never eat lunch. And it was a you know lower middle class neighborhood, so he, his dress wasn't noticeable, but when you started to look, he wasn't dressed as well as the other kids. And I noticed he wasn't eating lunch, and so one day I packed a lunch for him. And I said, there's a lunch behind the books back there if you want it, and he looked at me and says, I don't want your lunch. And so every day I would bring it in. He says, I don't want something that you brought yesterday. I said, no, I threw that out. I made a new lunch for you. And I found out, to get to the root of the story, that the kid was homeless. He and his mom lived in a car. I, after I noticed he wasn't eating lunch and then he started to eat lunch and then he started to do better in my classroom just because it was an act of kindness that he said, okay, maybe I'll try to do a little bit more I went to the house and knocked on the door, and his aunt answered the door, and she said, no, I kicked them out of the house six months ago. In the wintertime, they were living in a car. Wow. And so when you understand, you know, nobody knew that. Nobody had ever checked on the address when you, I was lucky to find out that this is what he was going through. And I felt bad because it was a K-6 building, Uh, In seventh grade, I went to check on him a few times at where he went to middle school. It seemed like he was doing okay, and I lost contact with him. And I don't think it ended well for him. I'll end it on that. But I I wish I would have kept, it's a huge regret that I'll always carry with me, I wish I would have kept closer tabs with him to see how he was doing.
0: Do you have any advice for upcoming teachers, new teachers, uh, kids coming out of school with a degree in education? And they're excited, you know, they're going to get a job somewhere and they're going to they're going to start having an impact on on children's lives. Do you have any advice for them?
1: Stay out of the teachers lounge again.
0: Uh, Why is that?
1: Associate with positive people. Make sure that you try to find out who the kids think are the better teachers. Find out why the kid why their students think those teachers are the better teachers. Find out what it is that they do go, my first principal did this to me and it was, I was blessed that he did this. He made me go once every two months to observe who they thought was an excellent teacher. If your school will still let you do it, spend a day observing other teachers, finding out what do they do. You'll find things that you like, you'll find things that you don't want to do. No matter what, it will be a positive experience for you. Always go to national or state conventions. Always go to where new material is being presented, new ideas or new ways of approaching things are being presented. Always leave yourself wide open to what's new in the profession, what the new approaches are, what the new philosophy is. You may not agree with it, but you'll. I never walked away from a convention or a conference that I didn't come out with multiple great ideas that I used in my class either that year or the year after. Once you get to that point and you've got your tenure, you've got you know your acceptance and your job is pretty secure, that's at the point where you've got to have the professionalism to go out and force yourself to grow. So there is a difference that way between a doctor and a teacher, but I think in the beginning, it's incredibly rigorous for young teachers. And I, I, I don't know what the statistics are, but I know they're quite high of the number of teachers that quit in their first five years because of the lack of pay and the lack of uh, you know, the, the amazing things that they have to go through to stay certified for their job. You, when you ask, what do I get up like in the morning, is, I, I've never gotten up and said i got to go to work. This isn't something that I have to do. This is something that I want to do. And for me, I just, I lucked into it. It was such, such an unchosen path for me. And then to be able to be blessed for 43 years to say, I get to do this today.
0: When I decided I was going to reach out to you and sit down with you, it was only after some research that I, that I conducted on my own, where I asked a bunch of friends, some former classmates, other people who graduated from the elementary school I went to, who were your top two favorite teachers and like I mentioned before, you were on everyone's list. So why do you think, in your opinion, what puts you on people's lists? And this is a this is a twofold question. Number one, why do you think you were on their list? And what does it take for a teacher to get on someone's list?
1: Again, I think it's just you you try to you present yourself to your students that you're interested in them. You're interested in the subject material. That you're not just there to collect a paycheck. That you're there because you want to be there. I'm honored by the words of your friends that you talked to over the years that felt that. You know, when one retires and goes back and you know does a teaching situation like I'm in right now, you always question: Do I still have any any worth left? Any game left? So I'm honored to hear that. You know, they thought of me in that light, and I try to be positive in the classroom. I try to stay upbeat in the classroom, and hopefully that that bodes well for you, you know, in their eyes, and you try to make the subject interesting, and I'm lucky to be teaching science because it's easier to make science in a 7th and 8th grade level an interesting subject. Because you have, I'm blessed with a great science lab. I'm blessed with you know, having materials in my science lab. And you know, it's easy to do things that are engaging to the students. That it's just not a sit down, shut up, read, let's go to the next chapter. So I don't know if I'm on the list because of me or I'm blessed to be teaching the subject that I'm teaching.
0: And one last question. When people think of Mondays... Mondays are like back to the grind right coming from the weekend it's just like it's a downer it's real depressing and I don't know if you're a Garfield fan but Garfield the cat hated Mondays because it just it wasn't for him and unfortunately most of society does not like Mondays but the beginning of the week he's just he's not interested is there anything you could tell that person you know how do you change your mindset or or how do you get more positive what what can you what advice can you offer that kind of person?
1: Look forward to every day of your life, not just the weekends. Don't live for the weekends, and if you are, you probably need to make a life change in your career. Uh, Nobody is promised tomorrow. If you throw a day away because you're not motivated, then you're throwing away a gift. And as I get older, I seem to understand that more and more that we are not promised with tomorrow. And so to get up on a Monday and say, hey, I don't want to do this, what a waste of a day. So if you're not passionate about your job, then do your best to try to find out what your passion, where your passions do lie.
0: All right, Mr. 80, thank you so much for, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Do you have any, any final thoughts? Any I'm final honored things?
1: that you asked me to be here. I don't think I belong on the list of people that you're interviewing. I'm honored that you thought enough to reconnect with me. Uh, it made my day to hear your voice on the phone asking me to give you a call back. Uh, it's why I teach. Presenting science is a method to, you know, make connections with people and that you've showed me that I'm capable of making those connections and I'm honored to be here and I'm I'm glad to be sitting down with you again. I'm thrilled to be sitting down with you again.
0: Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. Each episode here on Maverick Mondays is approximately 30 minutes long. At the end of each episode, we will briefly recap and highlight some of the important points discussed. This will help us properly utilize the information we just heard so that we can remember what was discussed and take it to heart. What really struck me in my conversation with Mr. 80 was two things. Number one, his gratitude. He kept referring to a Mr. Rish at the beginning of our conversation who was his mentor and his role model. It was this Mr. Rish that pushed him to become a teacher when he was in college and he really had no sense of direction. It's really important that we find our own Mr. Rish in our own lives that we look up to and that we go to for counseling. The second thing that really struck me in our conversation, as we were trying to figure out what it was that made Mr. Rady such a great teacher that everybody loved, Mr. Rady would never put it on himself. He would never say, oh yeah, it was me. It was this that I did. He would suggest things that he did and then he would almost immediately say and follow it up with, but I worked with fantastic students and the staff I worked with was so great and the parents were so phenomenal. He never took the credit for himself. And to me, that was very inspiring. Here are some great takeaway points from our discussion. Number one, express your gratitude. Make sure the people in your life that support you and stand by you know how much they mean to you. Two, be willing to grow. More times than not, the field that you're in is always obtaining new energy and new ideas. Don't be afraid to try them out. Even if the methods that you're using currently work, stay open-minded. Try new things. Three, make an effort to get to know someone else. Four, we can always improve in whatever it is we're doing and use that to motivate you. Five, if you must, force yourself to grow. You'll thank yourself somewhere down the road. Six, don't set yourself up for a life where you live for the weekends. And seven, just like we do here on the Maverick Mondays podcast, Learn from the greats around you, see how they work, analyze their techniques, and then try and be just like them or better. Thank you for joining us. The next step is for you to do your part. We heard some pretty amazing things being discussed. If you truly want to grow and become the best version of you, and yes, I mean the best version of you, listen to the episode twice, maybe even three times and perhaps even take notes. These are priceless key elements to achieving success and finding happiness even on the most depressing Monday. Thank you for joining us.